Good evening. Welcome to part five of our foundations class. Today we cover the second half of the 16 doctrines, and then we have 45 minutes of open questions and answers. So that's one of my very favorite times during the first 45 minutes. Feel free to ask clarification questions over doctrines 9 through 16. And then after that, just try not to be overtly mean and that sort of thing. But any any topic, any type of question, 16 doctrines is kind of what we're talking about, but any type of question is open. And so I may or may not have answers for those questions, but <laughs> it can be a very fruitful time if we get a variety of people asking questions during those 45 minutes. Doctrine number nine, sanctification. Sanctification is a process that aligns us with God. How long does it take you to get your sins forgiven? I heard somebody once tell me the distance between heaven and hell is the distance between your knee and the ground. If you, if you're, if you bow before the Lord and you ask for forgiveness, you go from death to life. Boom, right there. How long does it take for you to become perfected in your thoughts and behaviors and your inner person? How long does that take? Let's work on that. You know? <laughs> um, but, you know, as I normally say, I'm not holding my breath on anybody as far as being completely perfect in this life. We, we want to strive to be brought into the image of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to work towards that. Provision has been made for that. And that is sanctification. And so, sanctification is the process that aligns us with God. One of the things we've been talking about in some sermons over the summer is this different code of conduct for believers versus unbelievers. Or when you get saved, do you now have a different code of conduct that you follow? The idea is the sanctification process that our behavior, our uh, habits, our mentality, our way of thinking will change over time as we're growing closer to the Lord. One of the really important things that we'll talk about on another Sunday night is where's the line? You know, that, that million dollar question of is it a sin if? Uh, and everybody wants me to define exactly where the line is. And so what I tell people is, well, the line's in different places for different people and it moves. How much should a person pray every day to be a Christian? Well, it's going to be different for different people, right? I mean, if you're eight or if you're a pastor, there's going to be different amounts of prayer that are appropriate. It's going to be in different places for different people and it's going to change over time. So as you grow in the Lord, the line is going to change for you. One of the great examples for that is alcohol. As an Assembly of God pastor, I have taken a vow of abstaining from alcohol. I can't consume alcohol ever. Like I can't punch out and then go to the bar and drink. I can't, I, I could go to the bar and talk to people or something. I can't do that. It's a decision I've made and is a requirement of the Assemblies of God for people who are in ministry. Um, because you're a potential stumbling block for others if you're drinking alcohol. If I'm a example for a 15-year-old, 
and they see me drinking a beer with my burger at Applebee's, what is that going to do for that 15-year-old? It's going to be a bad example for them, and they're going to say, Pastor Mike does that? What's the big deal? And so they could be led down a road that's going to be potentially dangerous. Now, do you have to have taken that vow to show up on a Sunday morning at Good Hope Church? No, of course not. Uh, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> the line is in different places for different people and it moves. As you become more of a person that people look to, you need to take responsibility for the example that you are for others. Then those things are going to change, not just based on personal convictions, but also based on how is that going to affect other people. I invited a friend of mine to go to the casino. This was well prior to the pastoring days. But I was a believer at the time, I think. I had other relatives who were like, ah, it's no big deal. And these guys were believers, and they were kind of uh, examples to me. So I'm like, ah, I think this is no big deal. And uh, brought my friend, the tightest guy ever. Tight. That dude spent, he was like, I'm going to spend $20. He spent $20, and then he went running out to his car to go get more money, and I thought, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> you know, thankfully he's never been back since, which is great, but I could see this is, a, this is a potential weak spot for this guy. And look what I've done. I can't be doing that. So you got to be careful not to be a stumbling block for other people. So sanctification is a process that aligns us with God. It's about us changing our behavior to be more about the ways of God and then also us looking at how our behavior impacts other people and uh, doing the thing that helps others. So that's sanctification, is the process of becoming more Christ-like. That's sanctification. Number 10, God designed the church for a purpose and a mission. This is a neat one because it's changed since I've been pastoring. Uh, number 10 was altered. It used to be a threefold mission, and now it's a fourfold mission. And it's actually easier to look at if you go to number 11, because it just kind of recaps everything super quick. This is the fourfold purpose mission of the church. That would be number one, evangelism. So to evangelize the world, go out, make disciples, go out and help people have a, a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, worshiping God, getting people together to worship God. That's the purpose of the church. Number three, building a body of believers conforming to the life of Christ. So that is getting a bunch of people together as they're working through that process of sanctification. Basically, that would be discipleship you're familiar with that terminology. Number three is discipleship, helping people get good at being Christians. And then number four, meeting human need with ministries of love and compassion. It was kind of fun to watch the debate as number four was added because it didn't used to be in there. It was just evangelism, worship, discipleship. And, you know, that's all very straight Christian stuff. And then the fourth one was added Hey, let's do nice things for people to show them that God loves them. And there was, it was hotly debated. It was hotly contested. And it was fun to watch. And the essence of the debate was, which is easier, to witness to your neighbor or to rake their lawn? Raking their lawn is easier. So if we can quiet that thing in our heart that says, you need to share Christ with your neighbor, 
by raking their lawn, and then you never actually have to talk about it, then evangelism is going to start to fade away, and these other things are going to start to fade away, and we're going to be able to quiet the leading of the Spirit for personal evangelism and other things by doing nice things for people. That's, of course, very, very dangerous, isn't it? So the point that they finally did decide to add it in and said, well, we're not going to throw out the other three. <laughs> we're not going to throw out evangelism. But it is legitimate to go to someone who's hurting and help them and tell them Jesus loves them. That's a legitimate thing to do. It's even okay to go and help somebody who's hurting and not say anything, depending on the situation. When we helped with the flood, we offered to pray with everybody that we helped with the flood. And we went in 90 different homes in the Carlton County area, a couple in St. Louis County. But we offered to pray with every one of those people that we went and helped. We didn't evangelize them in the sense of, okay, now are you going to follow Christ or what? You know, we didn't give them that choice. We just prayed blessings over them and their, their world, the things that they wrote. So they knew who we were. But we were doing part four, meeting human need with ministries of love and compassion. So that's the fourfold purpose of the church. Evangelism, worship, discipleship, and showing the love of God to the world. So I like those as very closely tied into reach up, rise up, reach out. Worship, reach up. Discipleship, rise up. Evangelism, reach out. Because these are just fundamental parts of what it means to be following Christ. So that's 10. And then 11, God calls some to lead in ministry. Is everyone called to full-time ministry? No. Everyone is called to full-time Christianity. What that means for you might be different than what it means for somebody else. Was everybody called to go preach to Nineveh? No. One particular individual was. And it was a sin for him to get on a boat that wasn't going to Nineveh. But it wasn't a sin for the other people to get on that boat. They weren't running from God. They were just doing their thing. So some people are called to lead in ministry. Full-time Christianity, we end up doing the work of the ministry, whatever that may be in its various facets. But as far as like a vocation, there's only some that are going to be leading in that respect. So God calls some to lead in ministry. So there are pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles, that sort of thing. And those, those people are called by God and they need to do that or be in rebellion against God. And other people who aren't called to do that don't need to do that. Number 12. This one used to be controversial, but is less controversial now. Number 12, God provides healing through the atonement. People used to argue that Divine healing is a thing of the past, but really just too many people have been healed to argue for that anymore. Uh, if I do a poll on Sunday morning, how, how many people have experienced a physical divine healing? There would be 20 hands that will come up. I mean, it's just a regular thing. The only thing I think that people can argue about now is, okay, is everybody supposed to get healed or only some? You know, like when uh, Pastor Mike was talking this morning, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. There's the five porches with all these sick people and infirm people, and Jesus walks by all of them and goes gets the one guy and heals him. What about the rest of the people? Wow. So we do believe in miraculous 
physical divine healing. Um, I've experienced healing. I have a family history of carpal tunnel and was experiencing numbness in my hands, especially my left hand. And I was warming up for church on a Sunday morning. This was 10 years ago. And, you know, I just couldn't quite hit the cords because my hand wasn't working right. This is also a good story as far as how specific and how wonderful do our prayers have to be for God to answer them. So I'm getting ready for church and my hand doesn't work and I've got to play the guitar. So I just shook my hand and said, come on. And bam, all the numbness was gone. <laughs> it was just instantly completely healed. I haven't had a problem since. And that's like 10 years ago. That's, isn't that awesome? Woo! These two fingers are numb. <laughs> On this hand, she thinks it's because this one was my fault because it was wrestling where I hurt my back. And then, you know, she's like, don't, don't hurt yourself. But I've asked for healing, prayed for healing for this hand. It, it works good enough. I mean, that one Sunday I had to squeeze as hard as possible just to hold the pick in my hand to play the guitar. But now it's just good. These two are just a little funny. So what's the deal with that? This hand healed? This hand not. The wife says if you jump in front of a truck, you're going to get hit by the truck. That is correct. Don't jump in front of a truck. When you're a 40-some-year-old wannabe wrestling a 225-pound high schooler and you do the same thing 10 times, you're going to have some muscle problems. But, hallelujah, that's getting better. So, God provides healing through the atonement. I personally believe in God's destiny for everyone is for healing. That everyone should believe for healing in their situation. Um, I personally believe that that is kind of implied in God provides healing through the atonement. The atonement is the sacrifice Jesus made. By His stripes we are healed. I know everyone will be healed in heaven. And that's where God's perfect will happens. If somebody comes up for prayer and they're sick, we pray that they be healed. We don't pray, well, whatever you want, Lord, I guess is fine, but if we have any pull, we'd like them to feel better. Amen. You know, that's not how we pray. We pray for that to be healed, for that sickness to be gone, for the pain to go. We pray for healing. Do we always see healing every time? No. But we do see healing. Saw a root canal happen. Mary Beach got a root canal. The dentist said to her, when did you get your root canal done? She said, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. And she said, hallelujah. <laughs> so, and stuff like that happens. I've prayed for people who have been sick. Uh, when I was a brand new pastor guy, I would do a testimony and prayer request time during church. I was an interim pastor in Manoman. There were like eight people. And uh, we're having some church. I brought that church from 8 to 12. 50% increase in attendance. Come on. So there's a guy, Stanley, in church. Testimony, prayer request time. I'm like, hey, anybody got any testimonies for prayer requests? What's God doing in your life? And Stanley raises his hand. He says, I had oral cancer. It went in remission. The sores are back in my mouth. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. I'm scared. I'm like, anyway, that is scary. Well, okay, I guess I'm going to pray for Stanley. And he stayed in his seat, and we just went through the list of things that people had brought up and prayed for those things. And I was done praying. I looked up, and there's Stanley, big smile on his face. I 
Hey, Stanley, what's going on? He's like, the Holy Spirit touched me. I'm going to be fine. I'm like, that's great. Go to the doctor tomorrow and let us know what happens. So he went to the doctor the next day. He still had the sores in his mouth. They tested everything, not a bit of cancer, and then over the next couple weeks, everything healed up. He's like, ah, praise God. Awesome. We had a lady named Brenda in Big Fork. We brought all the churches together, had a special prayer meeting just for her. She had cancer. It progressed and she died. That's less fun of a testimony. Man, I wish Brenda was here. That would have been great. She went to heaven. Amen. She does not have cancer in heaven. That is for sure. I would have preferred physical healing here. <laughs> the stance we have is we're going to pray for healing every time. And when we have disappointments, we're not going to blame anybody. We're not going to say, well, you didn't have enough faith to get healed. We're not going to say, well, the prayer didn't have enough faith to heal them. We're not going to get into blaming anybody. We're just going to stay in faith, believing for people to receive healing. And when it doesn't work out how we want it to, we're going to go, well, at least there's something more important than this. And we're going to believe for healing the next time. I'm not discouraged because I've got two fingers that are kind of numb and don't work as good as they should. Eh, this body isn't going to last all that long. So I love divine healing. We're all for it. We're going to believe for it. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But we're not going to get discouraged when we don't see things. And then we're not going to create another doctrine that says God didn't want that person healed. I, I think God does want people healed. So in 20 minutes, you can say, what? And question me on that one. But I believe God wants everyone healed. And it will come to its fullness in heaven for sure. Number 13, our future is anchored in the blessed hope. And that is that Jesus is coming back and he's coming to get us. We're not just here and in trouble. Jesus is coming back and He's coming for us. Hallelujah for that. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I don't know exactly when that's going to happen. I'm just planning to be about my Father's business until Jesus comes back. That's what we need to do. We need to be anticipating the return of Christ. Anticipate being caught up in the air. Don't so much guess times and dates and that sort of the deal. But be ready. Be ready for the return of Christ. That is our blessed hope. Number 14. Christ will rule the earth for a millennium. There's scriptures that indicate that Jesus is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. A lot of people who like guessing about when Jesus is coming back are pretty excited about this thousand-year reign of Christ because that's like a Sabbath thousand years. And we're right about 6,000 years, if you're a young earth creationist, we're right at about 6,000 years. And so the thousand-year Sabbath, it could be any time. If you're looking at 7,000 years of human history, and man, oh man, oh man, that thousand-year reign of Christ is a really interesting thing. I'll share with you my personal eschatology, which eschatology is the study of the end times and uh, all the things that are going to happen in the future. And so, when everything starts going, I'm going to grab Jesus around the ankles and hold on as hard as I can, and then when the dust settles, I'll be in the right place. That's my <laughs> theology of eschatology. 
Hang on. Be with Jesus and you'll end up in the right spot. That's my plan. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when that's going to happen. He's going to reign for a thousand years. That's going to be great. Then they're going to let Satan go. Have you read that? If Satan's bound for a thousand years, then they're going to let him go. Why would you do that? But there's a, there's a reason. They're going to let him go and he's going to try to mess with people again and then it's all going to be done for forever. Man, that's going to be great. Hang on to Jesus. So, Christ will rule for a millennium. Number 15, very important one here, number 15. There will be a final judgment for all. There's some new movements within Christianity. Basically, everybody goes to heaven anyway, so what difference does it make kind of stuff. I very much think that is dangerous theology, and I very much agree with 15. There will be a final judgment for all. There will be those who will be brought into eternal life, into heaven, and there will be those who will suffer the second death, who will be damned, and you don't want that. So, there will be a final judgment for everyone. Every knee will bow. We will all give an account. Those who are found being about the Father's business, who have asked for forgiveness, walking in the ways of God, they go to heaven. Those who have not been forgiven and connected with God, they are cast out. Very, very serious. There will be a final judgment. I would prefer everybody goes to heaven, personally. I don't like the idea of hell. Very unpleasant to me to think about. But there will be a final judgment. We have a responsibility. 16. Christians will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. One of the important things to remember is that this is not the finished product. The life we're living here is not God's best for us. This is a world full of sin. This is a world that's cursed. This is just a messed up world. Satan is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is a, this is a messed up place. There's tornadoes and earthquakes and floods. There will be a new heavens and a new earth and we will get to live there with no curse, no sickness, no death. It would be great and purposeful. The idea of floating in a cloud with a harp, I suppose there will be musicians there. Definitely, there will be musicians there. But we will have work to do. The best way to look at the new heavens and the new earth is to look at what happened before the fall. Adam and Eve were the caretakers of the garden. They had work to do. They enjoyed it. It was fruitful. But it wasn't that they're just on vacation. They were tending the garden. And we will have jobs to do in the new heaven and the new earth as well. I have put in my request to have a little uh, orchard, a couple days walk away from the big city. You know, the, the new Jerusalem that's coming down. That You know how big that thing is? thing is huge. It says it's laid out like a square, like a big, big square, and then it's deep and wide and high. It sort of describes a cube, but it says a square. And uh, it is from one corner to the other, one side of the city is just a little bit farther than from Duluth to New Orleans. It's a big city. 
I like that because that means that God is expecting a crowd to fill the city. One side of it, the square, basically half of the continental United States as a city. So, Christians will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. So that is the 16 doctrines.